Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Alison, and uh, certainly the heat's turning up in markets at the moment, but also here in, in Brisbane. You're not wrong. It is uh, it is hot up here, so hot hot in both senses, but still nice to be here. But uh, talking about heat, it's been a pretty big week for central banks. We've had the Fed, Bank of England, and the uh, ECB all meeting. So a pretty pretty busy and pretty important week. And leading into the meetings, there's been quite a lot of speculation that perhaps the banks are nearing the end of their tightening cycles. Perhaps you know people have sort of got different views on where we're heading with inflation and so on. But what did they really say, Matthew? Well, as you say, though the they met and they all lifted their uh, their policy rates this week. The Fed slowed its uh, pace of tightening. They were tightening at 50 basis points per meeting. Uh, they slowed that down to 25 basis points. That lifted the Fed funds rate up to its uh, a mid-range of 4.625%. In contrast, the ECB and the Bank of England, they continued with the 50 basis point rate hikes and the ECB lifted its deposit rate, one of its uh, uh, policy rates to 2.5%. The Bank of England lifted bank rate to 4%. The big three, they also signalled that, as you say, the end of the tightening cycle is pretty close at hand with just another 50 basis points of uh, rate hikes to come, Alison. And so the Fed indicated at least another 225 basis point hikes can be expected and they'll happen at their meetings at March and then again in May. And that'll take the Fed funds rate up to over 5%. Uh, the ECB and the Bank of England, they indicate another 50 basis point uh, rate hikes are in train at their next policy meeting in March, and then maybe that'll be it for them. And that'll take the ECB's deposit rate up to 3%, the Bank of England's rate up to 4.5%. Now, the interesting thing about those levels, if they follow through with that 50 basis point rate hike, it would see the uh, rates in, in Europe and uh, the US significantly higher than their long-run non-inflationary neutral rates. Our estimates indicate that at those terminal rates, they'd be about two percentage points higher than the neutral rate in the US. It'd be about one and three quarter percentage points higher than the neutral rate in the UK and one and a quarter uh, percentage points higher than the neutral rate in the euro area. And consequently, um, if inflation and growth do continue to slow over the year, it means that the Fed, the ECB and the Bank of England really have significant scope to cut rates. So looking at the markets, Alison, how did the markets respond? Uh, was there any surprises? Well, I think, you know, it, it. I think the market is taking the challenge to the central banks. You know, the central banks, as you noted, really said, we've got further to go in our rate hike cycle, notwithstanding the fact that they did give some, some softening commentary, as you noted, that perhaps they are seeing some signs of moderation and in inflation. But I think the markets are saying, well, we're not sure that we believe you. We think that you might be done. You know, we have seen, you know, overnight, there were some really strong market moves. We saw the 10 year bond market was off 21 basis points, 10 year gilt market off 30 basis points, and Italian bonds down by 39 basis points overnight for 10 years. Like really quite big moves. And I think the reaction to that is the market is saying, you know, we are going to be above that long term terminal rate. We are thinking that, you know, that perhaps inflation is coming under control and perhaps in order not to squash the economy too far, that perhaps the central banks are done. So 
It's quite an interesting turnaround. And we look, we saw the echo of that in the equity markets as well, which rallied strongly. For example, 3.6 rally in the NASDAQ and European markets were also up. So a really strong reaction, quite in contrast to the commentary um, put forward by the central banks. So I think some, un, you know, some uncertainty certainty looking forward from my perspective. Listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast where I'm discussing markets with Dr. Matthew Peter. So a question to you, Matthew. Monetary policy is obviously not happening in a vacuum. We are talking about the data and what's happening and the banks are saying we need to be very data dependent. So what is the latest data telling us about the momentum in the economy? Well, I mean, the most important feature of you know, recent developments is that inflation looks like it's clearly easing now across uh, the globe. You know, US inflation we know has already peaked back in June of last year at over 9%. And the December read on inflation uh, shows that, uh, you know, inflation in the US is now down at 6.5%. Now, the euro area in the UK inflation cycles lagged the US cycle and has also been uh, a bit more severe. But we are seeing evidence that perhaps the uh, inflation in those two regions too has peaked out perhaps in round about October. Nonetheless, if we look forward a bit, the prospects for a deceleration inflation are clearly building. Now, a key driver of those very high European and UK inflation rates, which got over 10%, was, of course, that sharp increase in energy costs. And, and you know, we're continuing to see that, that strong reversal in energy price pressure coming out of Europe, with European gas prices now, Alison, a whopping 80% lower than their peaks back in mid-August. And even over the month of January, just in this this start of the year, uh, European gas prices are 12% down. Now, in the US, um, there's also signs that drivers of the underlying inflation rate, you know, those those uh, drivers that are a little bit more sticky, uh, they're also starting to fade. In particular, we saw this week US wage costs easing to an annual rate of 4% over the December quarter, and that's down from a peak of 5.6% back in March. In addition, US employment gains, although still relatively robust, are, are continuing, seem to be continuing that downward trend to more sustainable levels. Of course, we get the payroll start in the US overnight on Friday, so that'll be closely watched. But on top of that, we're also getting a, a, a fall in unit labour costs in the US as well. The unit labour costs are the effective cost of producing a unit of output to businesses. And that's been driven down not only by slower wage growth, but also a gradual pickup in productivity in the US as well. So there are signs that, you know, inflation is coming down, uh, not only in the US, but also globally. So, so given where these trends are heading, Alison, where do you see bond yields um, heading over 2023? Of course, you know, where bond yields are heading is really one of the key um, ingredients into uh, asset allocation uh, over over the year, isn't it, of course? Look, absolutely. Look, I think it is a really tricky one. As you said, we've got the central banks giving us commentary in one direction. We've got the markets taking us perhaps in another but I do think potentially the markets are being a little over optimistic. You know, markets always do look through look through time and, and try and look through the data. And as you said, there is obviously some, you know, positive trends of inflation decreasing. But as you also sort of indicated, there are some of those secondary effects which can be a little sticky. So I think while we'll see inflation coming down, 
there'll be probably echoes of inflation for some time. And given this, and given the relatively strong economic data, this kind of really lessens the needs for central banks to cut, which, you know, markets are still pricing in. I think they could potentially, this might mean them, lead them to pause um, at their terminal rates rather than necessarily cutting quite quickly, just to make sure that that inflation is under control. And if economic growth is coming along okay, they really have no strong uh, reason to, to cut in the short term. So potentially a little bit optimistic for those markets. But, you know, look, I think there will be volatility and we're certainly watching it very closely. Question for you, though, Matthew. How's that all affecting Australia with the RBA sort of looking to meet, I think, on Tuesday next week? That's right. Next Tuesday, the next meeting for the RBA, it's going to be a relatively big one again. Clearly, the RBA is under pressure to match those 50 basis point rate hikes that have been signalled by the Fed, ECB and the Bank of England, not necessarily on Tuesday, but over the next couple of meetings. I think not to do so, that is not to match is happening internationally. That would really risk spurring a strong market reaction. It would probably see a flattening of the Australian yield curve, appreciation of the Aussie dollar, for example, potentially even renewed upward pressure on house prices and, and a general easing of financial conditions. And that is not what the RBA would want to see. They wouldn't want to be adding inflationary pressure to the Australian economy at the moment, remembering now inflation cycle is actually lagging that of even the, uh, the UK and Europe. The upsides for prize, for example, contained in that December quarter Australian CPI reports uh, and combined with the ongoing momentum in the monthly data, remember inflation's uh, reached an annual rate of 8% over the month of December, mm. that means that a 25 basis point rate hike next Tuesday and I believe another 25 basis point rate hike in March are virtually baked in now. So how's this resetting of interest rates by central banks affecting your investment decisions, Alison? Well, the raising of rates and then the tempering of, of inflation is getting us to an environment where we might see positive real returns from sovereign bonds really for the first time time in a while, which certainly makes it more interesting, I think, as an asset class for, for institutional investors. But at this stage, uh, we still certainly have exposures to sovereign bonds, but we haven't leaned into a, an overweight position because we are expecting that volatility as the market grapples with inflation, with other data that's coming out and whether the banks will you know, continue to raise as they're certainly indicating. So we will at some stage, but not quite yet. I think for risk assets, though, it's becoming increasingly priced in this sort of Goldilocks, so-called Goldilocks environment, which is the... Mm -hmm. You know, not too hot, not too cold. Uh, we're going to achieve a, a soft landing um, for the economy and it will be be happy days. Look, obviously, that's, that's a great outcome if we do. We certainly uh, continue to be exposed to risk assets. But I think given the scale of the rate rises that we've seen and the pace of those rate rises, which is historically very quick, um, I think, you know, there is still a likelihood of a, a recession globally. Um, I think Australia will escape, but I think in, internationally there will be a recession, not necessarily a deep or a long one, but... With that, I think, you know, we will see, you know, some softening in earnings and, and a slowdown and perhaps some of those risk assets are maybe priced a little bit too finely for that environment. Um, but I think mid-risk assets, things like credit uh, and particularly private credit continue to be interesting. So we're looking at deploying further monies into those areas. But it's certainly an interesting and challenging environment and plenty for us to talk about, Matthew. So I look forward to chatting to you again next week. And thanks to our listeners for joining us and taking 10. Mm -hmm.